2. Practical Atheism The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Psalm 14. 1. Practical Atheism is natural to man in his depraved state, and very frequent in the hearts and lives of men. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. He regards him as little as if he had no being. He said in his heart, not with his tongue, nor in his head, he never firmly thought it, nor openly asserted it. Shame put a bar to the first, and natural reason to the second, yet, perhaps, he had sometimes some doubts whether there were a God or no. He wished there were not any, and sometimes hoped there were none at all. He could not raise out the notion of a deity in his mind, but he neglected the fixing the sense of God in his heart and made it too much his business to deface and blot out those characters of God in his soul, which had been left under the ruins of original nature. Men may have atheistical hearts without atheistical heads. Their reasons may defend the notion of a deity, while their hearts are empty of affection to the deity. Job's children may curse God in their hearts, though not with their lips. There is no God. Most understand it of a denial of the providence of God, as I have said in opening the former doctrine. He denies some essential attribute of God, or the exercise of that attribute in the world. He that denies any essential attribute, may be said to deny the being of God. Whosoever denies angels or men to have reason and will, denies the human and angelical nature, because understanding and will are essential to both those natures, there could neither be angel nor man without them. No nature can subsist without the perfections essential to that nature, nor God be conceived of without his. The Apostle tells us, if 2. 12. That the Gentiles were without God in the world. So, in some sense, all unbelievers may be termed atheists, for rejecting the mediator appointed by God, they reject that God who appointed him. But this is beyond the intended scope, natural atheism being the only subject. Yet this is deducible from it, that the title of a theo doth not only belong to those who deny the existence of God, or to those who contemn all sense of a deity, and would root the conscience and relevance of God out of their souls, but it belongs also to those who give not then worship to God which is due to him, who worship many gods, or who worship one God in a false and superstitious manner, when they have not right conceptions of God, nor intend an adoration of him according to the excellency of his nature. All those that are unconcerned for any particular religion fall under this character, though they only God in general, yet are willing to acknowledge any God that shall be coined by the powers under whom they live. The Gentiles were without God in the world, without the true notion of God, not without a God of their own framing. This general or practical atheism is natural to men. 1. Not natural by created, but by corrupted nature. It is against nature as nature came out of the hand of God, but universally natural, as nature hath been sophisticated and infected by the serpent's breath. In consideration of God, or misrepresentation of his nature, are as agreeable to corrupt nature, as the disowning the being of a God is contrary to common reason. God is not denied. Natura, Svitis. 2. It is universally natural, the wicked are estranged from the womb, Psalm IVI. 3. They go astray as soon as they be born, their poison is like the poison of a serpent, the wicked, and who by his birth hath a better title. 
they go astray from the dictates of God and the rule of their creation as soon as ever they be born. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent, which is radically the same in all of the same species. It is seminally and fundamentally in all men, though there may be a stronger restraint by a divine hand upon some men than upon others. This principle runs through the whole stream of nature. The natural bent of every man's heart is distant from God. When we attempt anything pleasing to God, it is like the climbing up a hill, against nature. When anything is displeasing to him, it is like a current running down the channel in its natural course. When we attempt anything that is an acknowledgement of the holiness of God, we are fain to rush, with arms in our hands, through a multitude of natural passions, and fight the way through the oppositions of our own sensitive appetite. How softly do we naturally sink down into that which sets us at a greater distance from God? There is no active, potent, efficacious sense of a God by nature. The heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. 8. 11. The heart, in the singular number, as if there were but one common heart beat in all mankind, and bent, as with one pulse, with a joint consent and force to wickedness, without a sense of the authority of God and the earth, as if one heart acted every man in the world. The great apostle cites the text to verify the charge he brought against all mankind. In his interpretation, the Jews, who owned one God, and were dignified with special privileges, as well as the Gentiles that maintained many gods, are within the compass of this character. The apostle leaves out the first part of the text, the fool hath said in his heart, but takes in the latter part, and the verses following. He charges a, because all, every man of them, was under sin, there is none that seeks God, and, ver. 19, he adds, what the law saith, it speaks to those that are under the law, that none should imagine he included only the Gentiles, and exempted the Jews from this description. The leprosy of atheism had infected the whole mass of human nature. No man, among Jews or Gentiles, did naturally seek God, and, therefore, all were void of any spark of the practical sense of the deity. The effects of this atheism are not in all externally of an equal size, yet, in the fundamentals and radicals of it, there is not a hair's difference between the best and the worst men that ever traversed the world. The distinction is laid either in common grace, bounding and suppressing it, or in special grace, killing and crucifying it. It is in every one either triumphant or militant, reigning or deposed. No man is any more born with sensible acknowledgments of God, then he is born with a clear knowledge of the nature of all the stars in the heavens, or plants upon the earth. None seeks after God. None seek God as his rule, as his end, as his happiness, which is a debt the creature naturally owes to God. He desires no communion with God, he places his happiness in anything inferior to God, he prefers everything before him, glorifies everything above him, he hath no delight to know him, he not those paths which lead to him, he loves his own filth better than God's holiness, his actions are tinctured and dyed with self, and are void of that respect which is due from him to God. The noblest faculty of man, his understanding, wherein the remaining lineaments of the image of God are visible, the highest operation of that faculty, which is wisdom, is, in the judgment of the Spirit of God, devilish, whilst it is earthly and sensual, and the wisdom of the best man is no better by nature, a legion of impure spirits possess it, devilish, as the devil, who, though he believe there is a God, 
yet acts as if there were none, and wishes he had no superior to prescribe him a law, and inflict that punishment upon him which his crimes have merited. Hence the poison of man by nature is said to be like the poison of a serpent, alluding to that serpentine temptation which first infected mankind, and changed the nature of man into the likeness of that of the devil, so that, notwithstanding the harmony of the world, that presents men not only with the notice of the being of a god, but darts into their minds some remarks of his power and eternity, yet the thoughts and reasonings of man are so corrupt, as may well be called diabolical, and as contrary to the perfection of God, and the original law of their nature, as the actings of the devil are, for since every natural man is a child of the devil, and is acted by the diabolical spirit, he must needs have that nature which his father hath, and the infusion of that venom which the spirit that acts him is possessed with, though the full discovery of it may be restrained by various circumstances, if, two, two, to conclude, though no man, or at least very few, arrive to a round and positive conclusion in their hearts that there is no God, yet there is no man that naturally hath in his heart any relevance of God. In general, before I come to a particular proof, take some propositions. Prop. I actions are a greater discovery of a principle than words. The testimony of works is louder and clearer than that of words, and the frame of men's hearts must be measured rather by what they do than by what they say. There may be a mighty distance between the tongue and the heart, but a course of actions is as little guilty of lying as interest is, according to our common saying. All outward impieties are the branches of an atheism at the root of our nature, as all pestilential sores are expressions of the contagion in the blood. Sin is therefore frequently called ungodliness in our English dialect. Men's practices are the best indexes of their principles. The current of a man's life is the counterpart of the frame of his heart. Who can deny an error in the spring or wheels, when he perceives an error in the hand of the dial? Who can deny an atheism in the heart? when so much is visible in the life. The taste of the water discovers what mineral it is strained through. A practical denial of God is worse than a verbal, because deeds have usually more of deliberation than words. Words may be the fruit of a passion, but a set of evil actions are the fruit and evidence of a predominant evil principle in the heart. All slighting words of a prince do not argue an habitual treason but a succession of overt treasonable attempts signify a settled treasonable disposition in the mind. Those, therefore, are more deservedly termed atheists, who acknowledge a God, and walk as if there were none, than those, if there can be any such, that deny a God, and walk as if there were one. A sense of God in the heart would burst out in the life, where there is no reverence of God in the life, it is easily concluded there is less in the heart. What doth not influence a man when it hath the addition of the eyes, and censures of outward spectators, and the care of a reputation, so much the god of the world, to strengthen it and restrain the action, must certainly have less power over the heart when it is single, without any other concurrence. The flames breaking out of a house discover the fire to be much stronger and fiercer within. The apostle judgeth those of the circumcision, who gave heed to Jewish fables, to be deniers of God though he doth not tax them with any notorious profaneness, did I. 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. He gives them epithets contrary to what they arrogated to themselves. I they boasted themselves to be holy. The apostle calls them abominable. They bragged that they fulfilled the law, and observed the traditions of their fathers, 
The apostle calls them disobedient, or unpersuadable. They boasted that they only had the rule of righteousness, and a sound judgment concerning it. The apostle said they had a reprobate sense, and unfit for any good work, and judges against all their vainglorious brags, that they had not a reverence of God in their hearts. There was more of the denial of God in their works than there was acknowledgement of God in their words. Those that have neither God in their thoughts, nor in their tongues, nor in their works, cannot properly be said to acknowledge him. Where the honor of God is not practically owned in the lives of men, the being of God is not sensibly acknowledged in the hearts of men. The principle must be of the same kind with the actions. If the actions be atheistical, the principle of them can be no better. Prop. 2. All sin is founded in a secret atheism. Atheism is the spirit of every sin. All the floods of impieties in the world break in at the gate of a secret atheism, and though several sins may disagree with one another, yet, like Herod and Pilate against Christ, they join hand in hand against the interest of God. Though lusts and pleasures be diverse, yet they are all united in disobedience to him. All the wicked inclinations in the heart, and struggling motions, secret repinings, self-applauding confidences in our own wisdom, strength, and see, envy, ambition, revenge, are sparks from this latent fire. The language of every one of these is, I would be a lord to myself, and would not have a god superior to me. The variety of sins against the first and second table, the neglects of God, and violences against man, are derived from this in the text. First, the fool hath said in his heart, and then follows a legion of devils. As all virtuous actions spring from an acknowledgement of God, so all vicious actions rise from a lurking denial of him. All licentiousness goes glib down where there is no sense of God. Abraham judged himself not secure from murder, nor his wife from defilement injurer. If there were no fear of God there. If he that makes no conscience of sin has no regard to the honor, and, consequently, none to the being of God. By the fear of God men depart from evil. Prov. 16. 6. By the non-regarding of God men rush into evil. Pharaoh oppressed Israel because he knew not the Lord. If he did not deny the being of a deity, yet he had such an unworthy notion of God as was inconsistent with the nature of a deity, he, a poor creature, thought himself a mate for the Creator. In sins of omission we own not God, in neglecting to perform what he enjoins, in sins of commission we set up some lust in the place of God, and pay to that the homage which is due to our Maker. In both we disown him, in the one by not doing what he commands, in the other by doing what he forbids. We deny his sovereignty when we violate his laws, we disgrace his holiness when we cast our filth before his face, we disparage his wisdom when we set up another rule as the guide of our actions than that law he hath fixed, we slight his sufficiency when we prefer a satisfaction in sin before a happiness in him alone, and his goodness, when we judge it not strong enough to attract us to him. Every sin invades the rights of God, and strips him of one or other of his perfections. It is such a vilifying of God as if he were not God, as if he were not the supreme creator and benefactor of the world, as if we had not our being from him, as if the air we breathed in, the food we lived by, were our own by right of supremacy, not of donation. For a subject to slight his sovereign, is to slight his royalty, or a servant his master, is to deny his superiority. Prop. 3. Sin implies that God is unworthy of a being. Every sin is a kind of cursing God in the heart, 
and aim at the destruction of the being of God, not actually, but virtually, not in the intention of every sinner, but in the nature of every sin. That affection which excites a man to break his law, would excite him to annihilate his being if it were in his power. A man in every sin aims to set up his own will as his rule, and his own glory as the end of his actions against the will and glory of God, and could a sinner attain his end, God would be destroyed. God cannot outlive his will and his glory, God cannot have another rule but his own will, nor another end but his own honor. Sin is called a turning the back upon God, a kicking against him, I as if he were a slighter person than the meanest beggar. What greater contempt can be shown to the meanest, vilest person, than to turn the back, lift up the heel, and thrust away with indignation? All which actions, though they signify that such a one hath a being, Yet they testify also that he is unworthy of a being, that he is an unuseful being in the world, and that it were well the world were rid of him. All sin against knowledge is called a reproach of God. Reproach is a vilifying a man as unworthy to be admitted into company. We naturally judge God unfit to be conversed with. God is the term turned from by a sinner, sin is the term turned to, which implies a greater excellency in the nature of sin than in the nature of God. And as we naturally judge it more worthy to have a being in our affections, so consequently more worthy to have a being in the world, than that infinite nature from whom we derive our beings and our all, and upon whom, with a kind of disdain, we turn our backs. Whosoever thinks the notion of a deity unfit to be cherished in his mind by warm meditation, implies that he cares not whether he hath a being in the world or no. Now though the light of a deity shines so clearly in man, and the stings of conscience are so smart, that he cannot absolutely deny the being of a god, yet most men endeavor to smother this knowledge, and make the notion of a god a sapless and useless thing, wrong. I. 28. They like not to retain God in their knowledge. It is said, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, Gen. 4. 16. That is, from the worship of God. Our refusing or abhorring the presence of a man implies a carelessness whether he continue in the world or no. It is a using him as if he had no being, or as if we were not concerned in it. Hence all men in Adam, under the emblem of the prodigal, are said to go into a far country, not in respect of place, because of God's omnipresence, but in respect of acknowledgement and affection. They mind and love anything but God. And the descriptions of the nations of the world, lying in the ruins of Adam's fall, and the dregs of that revolt, is that they know not God. They forget God, as if there were no such being above them, and, indeed, he that doth the works of the devil, owns the devil to be more worthy of observance, and, consequently, of a being, than God, whose nature he forgets, and whose presence he abhors. Prop. 4. Every sin in its own nature would render God a foolish and impure being, Many transgressors esteem their acts, which are contrary to the law of God, both wise and good. If so, the law against which they are committed, must be both foolish and impure. What a reflection is there, then, upon the lawgiver. The moral law is not properly a mere act of God's will considered in itself, or a tyrannical edict, like those of whom it may well be said, stat pro ratum voluntis, but it commands those things which are good in their own nature, and prohibits those things which are in their own nature evil, and therefore is an act of his wisdom and righteousness, the result of his wise counsel, and an extract of his pure nature, as all the laws of just lawgivers, 
are not only the acts of their will, but of a will governed by reason and justice, and for the good of the public, whereof they are conservators. If the moral commands of God were only acts of his will, and had not an intrinsic necessity, reason and goodness, God might have commanded the quite contrary, and made a contrary law, whereby that which we now call vice, might have been canonized for virtue, he might then have forbid any worship of him, love to him, fear of his name, he might then have commanded murders, thefts, adulteries. In the first he would have untied the link of duty from the creature, and dissolved the obligations of creatures to him, which is impossible to be conceived, for from the relation of a creature to God, obligations to God, and duties upon those obligations, do necessarily result. It had been against the rule of goodness and justice to have commanded the creature not to love him, and fear and obey him. This had been a command against righteousness, goodness, and intrinsic obligations to gratitude. And should murder, adulteries, rapings have been commanded instead of the contrary, God would have destroyed his own creation, he would have acted against the rule of goodness and order, he had been an unjust tyrannical governor of the world, public society would have been cracked in pieces, and the world become a shambles, a brothel house, a place below the common sentiments of a mere man. All sin, therefore, being against the law of God, the wisdom and holy rectitude of God's nature is denied in every act of disobedience. And what is the consequence of this, but that God is both foolish and unrighteous in commanding that, which was neither an act of wisdom, as a governor, nor an act of goodness, as a benefactor to his creature. As was said before, presumptuous sins are called reproaches of God, Num. 15. 30. The soul that doth aught presumptuously reproach hath the Lord. Reproaches of men are either for natural, moral, or intellectual defects. All reproaches of God must imply a charge, either of unrighteousness or ignorance. If of unrighteousness, it is a denial of his holiness. If of ignorance, it is a blemishing his wisdom. If God's laws were not wise and holy, God would not enjoin them, and if they are so, we deny infinite wisdom and holiness in God by not complying with them. As when a man believes not God when he promises, he makes him a har. 1 John the 5th. 10. So he that obeys not a wise and holy God commanding, makes him guilty either of folly or unrighteousness. Now, suppose you knew an absolute atheist who denied the being of a God, yet had a life free from any notorious spot or defilement, would you in reason count him so bad as the other that owns a God and being, yet lays, by his course of action, such a black imputation of folly and impurity upon the God he professeth to own, an imputation which renders any man a most despicable creature? Prop. V. Sin in its own nature endeavors to render God the most miserable being. It is nothing but in opposition to the will of God. The will of no creature is so much contradicted as the will of God is by devils and men, and there is nothing under the heavens that the affections of human nature stand more point-blank against than against God. There is a slight of him in all the faculties of man. Our souls are as unwilling to know him, as our wills are averse to follow him. Rom. 8. 7. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor can be subject. It is true, God's will cannot be hindered of its effect, for then God would not be supremely blessed, but unhappy and miserable. All misery ariseth from a want of that which in nature would have and ought to have, besides, if anything could frustrate God's will, it would be superior to him, 
God would not be omnipotent, and so would lose the perfection of the deity, and consequently the deity itself, for that which did wholly defeat God's will, would be more powerful than he. But sin is a contradiction to the will of God's revelation, to the will of his precept, and therein doth naturally tend to a superiority over God, and would usurp his omnipotence, and deprive him of his blessedness. For if God had not an infinite power to turn the designs of it to his own glory, but the will of sin could prevail, God would be totally deprived of his blessedness. Doth not sin endeavor to subject God to the extravagant and contrary wills of men, and make him more a slave than any creature can be? For the will of no creature, not the meanest and most despicable creature, is so much crossed, as the will of God is by sin, Isa. Zli I. 24. Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins, thou hast endeavored to make a mere slave of me by sin. Sin endeavors to subject the blessed God to the humor and lust of every person in the world. Prop. Vi. Men sometimes in some circumstances do wish the not being of God. This some think to be the meaning of the text, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, that is, he wishes there were no God. Many tamper with their own hearts to bring them to a persuasion that there is no God, and when they cannot do that, they conjure up wishes that there were none. Men naturally have some conscience of sin, and some notices of justice, Rom. I. 32. They know the judgment of God, and they know the demerit of sin, they know the judgment of God, and that they which do such things are worthy of death. What is the consequence of this but fear of punishment, and what is the issue of that fear? but a wishing the judge either unwilling or unable to vindicate the honor of his violated law. When God is the object of such a wish, it is a virtual undeifying of him, not to be able to punish, is to be impotent, not to be willing to punish, is to be unjust, imperfections inconsistent with the deity. God cannot be supposed without an infinite power to act, and an infinite righteousness as the rule of acting. Fear of God is natural to all men, not a fear of offending him but a fear of being punished by him, the wishing the extinction of God has its degree in men, according to the degree of their fears of his just vengeance, and though such a wish be not in its meridian but in the damned in hell, yet it hath its starts and motions in affrighted and awakened consciences on the earth, under this rank of wishers, that there were no God, or that God were destroyed, do fall. 1. Terrified consciences, that are mager misabib see nothing but matter of fear round about. As they have lived without the bounds of the law, they are afraid to fall under the stroke of his justice. Fear wishes the destruction of that which it apprehends hurtful. It considers him as a god to whom vengeance belongs. As the judge of all the earth. I the less hopes such an one hath of his pardon, the more joy he would have to hear that his judge should be stripped of his life. He would entertain with delight any reasons that might support him in the conceit that there were no god. In his present state such a doctrine would be his security from an account. He would as much rejoice if there were no God to inflame in hell for him, as any guilty malefactor would if there were no judge to order a gibbet for him. Shame may bridle men's words, but the heart will be casting about for some arguments this way, to secure itself, such as are at any time in Spira's case, would be willing to cease to be creatures, that God might cease to be judge. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no Elohim, no judge, fancying God without any exercise of his judicial authority. And there is not any wicked man under anguish of spirit, but, were it within the reach of his power, 
would take away the life of God, and rid himself of his fears by destroying his avenger. 2. Debauched persons are not without such wishes sometimes. An obstinate servant wishes his master's death, from whom he expects correction for his debaucheries. As man stands in his corrupt nature, it is impossible but one time or other most debauched persons at least have some kind of valieties, or imperfect wishes. It is as natural to men to abhor those things which are unsuitable and troublesome, as it is to please themselves in things agreeable to their minds and humors, and since man is so deeply in love with sin, as to count it the most estimable good, he cannot but wish the abolition of that law which checks it, and, consequently, the change of the lawgiver which enacted it, and in wishing a change in the holy nature of God, he wishes a destruction of God, who could not be God if he ceased to be immutably holy. They do as certainly wish that God had not a holy will to command them, as despairing souls wish that God had not a righteous will to punish them, and to wish conscience extinct for the molestations they receive from it, is to wish the power conscience represents out of the world also. Since the state of sinners is a state of distance from God, and the language of sinners to God is, depart from us, they desire as little the continuance of his being, as they desire the knowledge of his ways. The same reason which moves them to desire God's distance from them, would move them to desire God's not being, since the greatest distance would be most agreeable to them. The destruction of God must be so too, because there is no greater distance from us, than in not being. Men would rather have God not to be, than themselves under control, that sensuality might range at pleasure. He is like a heifer sliding from the yoke. Kosia 4. 16. The Cursing of God in the Heart feared by Job of his children, intimates a wishing God despoiled of his authority, that their pleasure might not be damned by his law. Besides, is there any natural man that sins against actuated knowledge, but either thinks or wishes that God might not see him, that God might not know his actions? And is not this to wish the destruction of God, who could not be God unless he were immense and omniscient? 3. Under this rank fall those who perform external duties only out of a principle of slavish fear. Many men perform those duties that the law enjoins, with the same sentiments that slaves perform their drudgery, and are constrained in their duties by no other considerations but those of the whip and the cudgel. Since, therefore, they do it with reluctancy, and secretly murmur while they seem to obey, they would be willing that both the command were recalled and the master that commands them were in another world. The spirit of adoption makes men act towards God as a father, a spirit of bondage only eyes him as a judge. Those that look upon their superiors as tyrannical, will not be much concerned in their welfare, and would be more glad to have their nails pared, than be under perpetual fear of them. Many men regard not the infinite goodness in the service of him, but consider him as cruel, tyrannical, injurious to their liberty. Adam's posterity are not free from the sentiments of their common father, till they are regenerate. You know what conceit was the hammer whereby the hellish jail struck the nail unto our first parents, which conveyed death, together with the same imagination to all their posterity, Gen. 3. 5. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Alas, poor souls! God knew what he did when he forbade you that fruit, he was jealous you should be too happy, it was cruelty in him to deprive you of a food so pleasant and delicious. 
The apprehension of the severity of God's commands riseth up no less in desires that there were no God over us, than Adam's apprehension of envying God for the restraint of one tree, moved him to attempt to be equal with God. Fear is as powerful to produce the one in his posterity as pride was to produce the other in the common root. When we apprehend a thing hurtful to us, we desire so much evil to it, as may render it incapable of doing us the hurt we fear. As we wish the preservation of what we love or hope for, so we are naturally apt to wish the not being of that whence we fear some hurt or trouble. We must not understand this as if any man did formally wish the destruction of God, as God. God in himself is an infinite mirror of goodness and ravishing loveliness, he is infinitely good, and so universally good, and nothing but good, and is therefore so agreeable to a creature, as a creature, that it is impossible that the creature, while it bears itself to God as a creature, should be guilty of this, but thirst after him and cherish every motion to him. As no man wishes the destruction of any creature, as a creature, but as it may conduce to something which he counts may be beneficial to himself, so no man doth, nor perhaps can wish the cessation of the being of God, as God, for then he must wish his own being to cease also, but as he considers him clothed with some perfections, which he apprehends as injurious to him, as his holiness in forbidding sin, his justice in punishing sin, and God being judged in those perfections, contrary to what the revolted creature thinks convenient and good for himself, he may wish God stripped of those perfections, that thereby he may be free from all fear of trouble and grief from him in his fallen state. In wishing God deprived of those, he wishes God deprived of his being, because God cannot retain his deity without a love of righteousness, and hatred of iniquity, and he could not testify his love to the one, or his loathing of the other, without encouraging goodness, and witnessing his anger against iniquity. Let us now appeal to ourselves, and examine our own consciences. Did we never please ourselves sometimes in the thoughts, how happy we should be, how free in our vain pleasures, if there were no God? Have we not desired to be our own lords, without control, subject to no law but our own, and be guided by no will but that of the flesh? Bid we never rage against God under his afflicting hand? Did we never wish God stripped of his holy will to command, and his righteous will to punish? And see. Thus much for the general. For the proof of this, many considerations will bring in evidence, most may be reduced to these two generals, man would set himself up, first, as his own rule, secondly, as his own end and happiness. A man would set himself up as his own rule instead of God. This will be evidenced in this method. 1. Man naturally disowns the rule God sets him. 2. He owns any other rule rather than that of God's prescribing. 3. These he doth in order to the setting himself up as his own rule. 4. He makes himself not only his own rule, but he would make himself the rule of God, and give laws to his creator. First, man naturally disowns the rule God sets him. It is all one to deny his royalty, and to deny his being. When we disown his authority, we disown his Godhead. It is the right of God to be the sovereign of his creatures, and it must be a very loose and trivial assent that such men have to God's superiority over them, and consequently to the excellency of his being, upon which that authority is founded, who are scarce at ease in themselves, but when they are invading his rights, breaking his bands, casting away his cords, and contradicting his will. Every man naturally is a son of Belial would be without a yoke, 
and leap over God's enclosures, and in breaking out against his sovereignty, we disown his being, as God, for to be God and sovereign are inseparable, he could not be God, if he were not supreme, nor could he be a creator without being a lawgiver. To be God and yet inferior to another, is a contradiction. To make rational creatures without prescribing them a law, is to make them without holiness, wisdom and goodness. 1. There is in man naturally an unwillingness to have any acquaintance with the rule God sets him, Psalm 14. 2. None that did understand and seek God. The refusing instruction and casting his word behind the back is a part of atheism. We are heavy in hearing the instructions either of law or gospel, and slow in the apprehension of what we hear. The people that God had hedged in from the wilderness of the world for his own garden, were foolish and did not know God, were sonish and had no understanding of him. The law of God is accounted a strange thing, cue a thing of a different mate, and a far country from the heart of man, wherewith the mind of man had no natural acquaintance, and had no desire to have any, or they regarded it as a sordid thing, what God accounts great and valuable, they account mean and despicable. Men may show a civility to a stranger, but scarce contract an intimacy, there can be no amicable agreement between the holy will of God and the heart of a depraved creature, one is holy, the other unholy, one is universally good, the other stark not. The purity of the divine rule renders it nauseous to the impurity of a carnal heart. Water and fire may as well friendly kiss each other and live together without quarreling and hissing, as the holy will of God and the unregenerate heart of a fallen creature. The nauseating a holy rule is an evidence of atheism in the heart, as the nauseating wholesome food is of putrefied phlegm in the stomach. It is found more or less in every Christian, in the remainders, though not in a full empire. As there is a law in his mind whereby he delights in the law of God, so there is a law in his members whereby he wars against the law of God. Ra. 7. 22. 23, 25. How predominant is this loathing of the law of God, when corrupt nature is in its full strength, without any principle to control it? There is in the mind of such a one a darkness, whereby it is ignorant of it, and in the will a depravedness, whereby it is repugnant to it. If man were naturally willing and able to have an intimate acquaintance with, and delight in the law of God, it had not been such a signal favor for God to promise to write the law in the heart. A man may sooner engrave the chronicle of a whole nation, or all the records of God in the scripture upon the hardest marble with his bare finger, than write one syllable of the law of God in a spiritual manner upon his heart. 4. 1. Men are negligent in using the means for the knowledge of God's will. All natural men are fools, who know not how to use the price God puts into their hands. They put not a due estimate upon opportunities and means of grace and account that law folly which is the birth of an infinite and holy wisdom. The knowledge of God which they may glean from creatures, and is more pleasant to the natural gust of men, is not improved to the glory of God, if we will believe the indictment the Apostle brings against the Gentiles. And most of those that have dived into the depths of nature, have been more studious of the qualities of the creatures, than of the excellency of the nature, or the discovery of the mind of God in them who regard only the rising and motions of the star, but follow not with the wise men, its conduct to the king of the Jews. How often do we see men filled with an eager thirst for all other kind of knowledge, that cannot acquiesce in a twilight discovery, but are inquisitive into the causes and reasons of effects, 
yet are contented with a weak and languishing knowledge of God and His law, and are easily tired with the proposals of them. He now that nauseates the means whereby he may come to know and obey God, has no intention to make the law of God his rule. There is no man that intends seriously an end, but he intends means in order to that end, as when a man intends the preservation or recovery of his health, he will intend means in order to those ends, otherwise he cannot be said to intend his health, so he that is not diligent in using means to know the mind of God, has no sound intention to make the will and law of God his rule. Is not the inquiry after the will of God made a work by the by, and fain to lackey after other concerns of an inferior nature, if it hath any place at all in the soul? Which is a despising the being of God. The notion of the sovereignty of God bears the same date with the notion of his Godhead, and by the same way that he reveals himself, he reveals his authority over us, whether it be by creatures without, or conscience within. All authority over rational creatures consists in commanding and directing, the duty of rational creatures in compliance with that authority consists in obeying. Where there is therefore a careless neglect of those means which convey the knowledge of God's will and our duty, there is an utter disowning of God as our sovereign and our rule. 2. When any part of the mind and will of God breaks in upon men, they endeavor to shake it off, as a man would a sergeant that comes to arrest him. They like not to retain God in their knowledge, wrong. I. 28. A natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, that is, into his affection. He pusheth them back as men do troublesome and importunate beggars, they have no kindness to bestow upon it, they thrust with both shoulders against the truth of God, when it presseth in upon them, and dash as much contempt upon it as the Pharisees did upon the doctrine our Saviour directed against their covetousness. As men naturally delight to be without God in the world, so they delight to be without any offspring of God in their thoughts. Since the spiritual palate of man is depraved, divine truth is unsavory and ungrateful to us, till our taste and relish is restored by grace. Hence men damp and quench the motions of the spirit to obedience and compliance with the dictates of God, strip them of their life and vigor, and kill them in the womb. How unable are our memories to retain the substance of spiritual truth, but like sand in a glass, put in at one part and runs out at the other. Have not many a secret wish, that the scripture had never mentioned some truths, or that they were blotted out of the Bible, because they face their consciences, and discourage those boiling lusts they would with eagerness and delight pursue. Methinks that interruption John gives our Savior when he was upon the reproof of their pride, looks little better than a design to divert him from a discourse so much against the grain, by telling him a story of their prohibiting one to cast out devils, because he followed not them. T how glad are men when they can raise a battery against a command of God, and raise some smart objection whereby they may shelter themselves from the strictness of it. 3. When men cannot shake off the notices of the will and mind of God, they have no pleasure in the consideration of them, which could not possibly be, if there were a real and fixed design to own the mind and law of God as our rule. Subjects or servants that love to obey their prince and master, will delight to read and execute their orders. The devils understand the law of God in their minds, but they loathe the impressions of it upon their wills. Those miserable spirits are bound in chains of darkness, evil habits in their wills, that they have not a thought of obeying that law they know. It was an unclean beast under the law that did not chew the cud, it is a corrupt heart that doth not chew truth by meditation. 
unnatural man is said not to know God, or the things of God, he may know them nationally, but he knows them not affectionately. A sensual soul can have no delight in a spiritual law. To be sensual and not to have the spirit are inseparable. Jude 19. Natural men may indeed meditate upon the law and truth of God, but without delight in it, if they take any pleasure in it, it is only as it is knowledge, not as it is a rule, for we delight in nothing that we desire, but upon the same account that we desire it. Natural men desire to know God in some part of his will and law, not out of a sense of their practical excellency, but a natural thirst after knowledge, and if they have a delight, it is in the act of knowing, not in the object known, not in the duties that stream from that knowledge, they design the furnishing their understandings, not the quickening their affections, like idle boys that strike fire, not to warm themselves by the heat, but sport themselves with the sparks, whereas a gracious soul accounts not only his meditation, or the operations of his soul about God and his will to be sweet, but he hath a joy in the object of that meditation. Many have the knowledge of God, who have no delight in him or his will. Owls have eyes to perceive that there is a sun, but by reason of the weakness of their sight have no pleasure to look upon a beam of it, so neither can a man by nature love, or delight in the will of God, because of his natural corruption. That law that riseth up in men for conviction and instruction, they keep down under the power of corruption, making their souls not the sanctuary, but prison of truth, Rom. I. 18. They will keep it down in their hearts, if they cannot keep it out of their heads, and will not endeavor to know and taste the spirit of it. 4. There is, further, a rising and swelling of the heart against the will of God. 1. Internal. God's law cast against a hard heart, is like a ball thrown against a stone wall, by reason of the resistance rebounding the further from it, the meeting of a divine truth in the heart of man, is like the meeting of two tides, the weaker swells and foams. We have a natural antipathy against a divine rule, and therefore when it is clapped close to our consciences, there is a snuffing at it, higher reasonings against it, corruption breaks out more strongly, as water poured on lime sets it on fire by an antiperistasis, and the more water is cast upon it, the more furiously it burns, or as the sunbeam shining upon a dunghill make the steams the thicker, and the stench the noiserer, neither being the positive cause of the smoke in the lime, or the stench in the dunghill, but by accident the causes of the eruption, wrong. 7. 8. But sin taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. Sin was in a languishing posture, as if it were dead, like a lazy garrison in a city, till, upon an alarm from the adversary, it takes arms, and revives its courage. All the sin in the heart gathers together its force to maintain its standing, like the vapors of the night, which unite themselves more closely to resist the beams of the rising sun. Deep conviction often provokes fierce opposition. Sometimes disputes against a divine rule end in blasphemies, Acts 13. 45. Contradicting and blaspheming are coupled together. Men naturally desire things that are forbidden, and reject things commanded, from the corruption of nature, which affects an unbounded liberty, and is impatient of returning under the yoke it hath shaken off, and therefore ringeth against the bars of the law, as the waves roar against the restraint of a bank. When the understanding is dark, and the mind ignorant, sin lies as dead, a man scarce knows he hath such motions of concupiscence in him, he finds not the least breath of wind, 
but a full calm in his soul, but when he is awakened by the law, then the viciousness of nature being sensible of an invasion of its empire, arms itself against the divine law, and the more the command is urged, the more vigorously it bends its strength, and more insolently lifts up itself against it, he perceives more and more atheistical lusts than before, all manner of concupiscence, more leprous and contagious than before. When there are any motions to turn to God, a reluctancy is presently perceived, atheistical thoughts bluster in the mind like the wind, they know not whence they come, nor whither they go, so unapt is the heart to any acknowledgement of God as his ruler, and any reunion with him. Hence men are said to resist the Holy Ghost, Acts 7, 51, to fall against it, as the word signifies, as a stone, or any ponderous body falls against that which lies in its way, they would dash to pieces, or grind to powder that very motion which is made for their instruction, and the spirit too which makes it, and that not from a fit of passion, but an habitual repugnance, ye always resist, and see. 2d. External. It is a fruit of atheism in the fourth verse of this psalm, who eat up my people as they eat bread, how do the revelations of the mind of God meet with opposition? And the carnal world like dogs bark against the shining of the moon, so much men hate the light, that they spurn at the eon thorns that bear it, and because they cannot endure the treasure, often fling the earth and vessels against the ground wherein it is held. If the entrance of truth render the market worse for Diana's shrines, the whole city will be in an uproar. Why when Socrates upon natural principles confuted the heathen idolatry, and asserted the unity of God, the whole cry of Athens, a learned university, is against him, and because he opposed the public received religion, though with an undoubted truth, he must end his life by violence. How hath every corner of the world steamed with the blood of those that would maintain the authority of God in the world? The devil's children will follow the steps of their father, and endeavor to bruise the heel of divine truth, that would endeavor to break the head of corrupt lust. 5. Men often seem desirous to be acquainted with the will of God, not out of any respect to his will, and to make it their rule, but upon some other consideration. Truth is scarce received as truth. There is more of hypocrisy than sincerity in the pale of the church, and attendance on the mind of God. The outward dowry of a religious profession, makes it often more desirable than the beauty. Judas was a follower of Christ for the bag, not out of any affection to the divine revelation. Men sometimes pretend a desire to be acquainted with the will of God, to satisfy their own passions, rather than to conform to God's will. The religion of such is not the judgment of the man, but the passion of the brute. Many entertain a doctrine for the person's sake, rather than a person for the doctrine's sake, and believe a thing because it comes from a man they esteem, as if his lips were more canonical than scripture. The apostle implies in the commendation he gives the Thessalonians, that some receive the word for human interest, not as it is in truth the word and will of God to command and govern their consciences by its sovereign authority, or else they have the truth of God, as St. James speaks of the faith of Christ, with respect of persons, and receive it not for the sake of the fountain, but of the channel, so that many times the same truth delivered by another, is disregarded, which, when dropping from the fancy and mouth of a man's own idol, is cried up as an oracle. This is to make not God, but man the rule, for though we entertain that which materially is the truth of God, yet not formally as his truth, but as conveyed by one we affect and that we receive a truth and not an error, 
we owe the obligation to the honesty of the instrument, and not to the strength and clearness of our own judgment. Wrong considerations may give admittance to an unclean, as well as a clean beast into the ark of the soul that which is contrary to the mind of God, may be entertained, as well as that which is agreeable. It is all one to such that have no respect to God, what they have, as it is all one to a sponge to suck up the foulest water or the sweetest wine, when either is applied to it. 6. Many that entertain the notions of the will and mind of God, admit them with unsettled and wavering affections. There is a great levity in the heart of man. The Jews that one day applaud our Savior with hosannas as their king, vote his crucifixion the next, and use him as a murderer. We begin in the spirit, and end in the flesh. Our hearts, like flute strings, are changed with every change of weather, with every appearance of a temptation. Scarce one motion of God in a thousand prevails with us for a settled abode. It is a hard task to make a signature of those truths upon our affections, which will with ease pass current with our understandings, our affections will as soon lose them, as our understandings embrace them. The heart of man is unstable as water. Some were willing to rejoice in John's light, which reflected a luster on their minds, but not in his heat, which would have conveyed a warmth to their hearts, and the light was pleasing to them but for a season, while their corruptions lay as if they were dead, not when they were awakened. Truth may be admitted one day, and the next day rejected, as Austin saith of a wicked man, he loves the truth shining, but he hates the truth reproving. This is not to make God, but our own humor our rule and measure. 7. Many desire an acquaintance with the law and truth of God, with a design to improve some lust by it, to turn the word of God to be a pander to the breach of his law. This is so far from making God's will our rule, that we make our own vile affections the rule of his law. How many forced interpretations of scripture have been coined to give content to the lusts of men, and the divine rule forced to bend, and be squared to men's loose and carnal apprehensions. It is a part of the instability or falseness of the heart, to wrest the scriptures to their own destruction, which they could not do, if they did not first ring them to countenance some detestable error or filthy crime. In paradise the first interpretation made of the first law of God, was point-blank against the mind of the lawgiver, and venomous to the whole race of mankind. Paul himself feared that some might put his doctrine of grace to so ill a use, as to be an altar and sanctuary to shelter their presumption. Rom. Vi. 1. 15. Shall we then continue in sin, that grace may abound? Poisonous consequences are often drawn from the sweetest truths, as when God's patience is made a topic once to argue against his providence, or an encouragement to commit evil more greedily, as though because he had not presently a revenging hand, he had not an all-seeing eye or when the doctrine of justification by faith is made use of to depress a holy life, or God's readiness to receive returning sinners, an encouragement to defer repentance till a deathbed. A will hunt for shelter and the reward God gave the midwives then lied to Pharaoh for the preservation of the males of Israel, and Rahab's saving the spies by false intelligence. God knows how to distinguish between grace and corruption, that may lie close together, or between something of moral goodness and moral evil which may be mixed, we find their fidelity rewarded, which was a moral good, but not their lie approved, which was a moral evil. Nor will Christ's conversing with sinners, be a plea for any to thrust themselves into evil company. Christ conversed with sinners, as a physician with diseased persons, to cure them, not approve them, 
others with profligate persons, to receive infection from them, not to communicate holiness to them. Satan's children have studied their father's art, who wanted not perverted scripture to second his temptations against our Savior. How often do carnal hearts turn divine revelation to carnal ends, as the sea fresh water into salt? As men subject the precepts of God to carnal interests, so they subject the truths of God to carnal fancies. When men will allegorize the word, and make a humorous and crazy fancy the interpreter of divine oracles, and not the spirit speaking in the word, this is to enthrone our own imaginations as the rule of 